The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. And if you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. If you're visiting and you don't have a Bible, just grab the pew Bible. If you don't have one at home, just take that one with you. Children, you can make your way to my left, to Children's Church, for a time of teaching and praise together. The rest of you, I want to ask you to be ambidextrous. Go to two passages of Scripture at once, or chronologically. Matthew 28, 16 through 20, put your finger there and then turn to the chapter we've been in for the last two Sundays, Luke 14, and look at the last two verses, verses, um, the last two verses of Luke 14, uh, verses 34 and 35. Would you do that, please? Uh, If you're visiting with us, that's page 874. And uh, if you are, um, and there's a note sheet that's provided. Would you look with me in Luke chapter 14 and verse 34. Now remember, we had three uh, parables, three banquet parables of praise to God for the banquet of salvation. In verses 1 through 24. And then instructions of the Lord on the the call to discipleship in verses 25 through 33. Now look how he ends what we studied the last two weeks. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is, no, it is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear. Let him hear. Then turn with me, if you would, to that familiar text, Matthew 28. I know it's right there. You got it because you're ambidextrous or amphibious. Uh, I love you. Eight people who laugh at my jokes. I just love you. Thank you. I think they're funny, too. Thank you. Matthew chapter 28. This is God's word. Oh, what a powerful text. Verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe All that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God which has been read in your hearing abides forever. By his grace and mercy may it be preached for you. Please be seated. So, brothers and sisters, I even went to a tweet last night asking for prayer, and I'm grateful for quite a number of people that... Read it and responded. I wished I had found a way to do it earlier to get to more of you. And uh, 
I'd ask for prayer. Uh, and I know you're going to think, oh, Harry, this is, you, you believe this about every sermon. And yeah, I do to some degree, but I think this sermon is crucial. I think it's subject matter from God's word is absolutely crucial and essential. Let me put it this way. If we don't understand and embrace what we cover this morning, in five to ten years, there will not be a Briarwood Presbyterian Church. If we don't understand and embrace what we deal with this morning, in five to ten years, if our denomination doesn't, there won't be a PCA. Not as you know it. In five to ten years, if this is not understood and embraced by the evangelical church, there won't be an evangelical church in this nation as you know it. That's how important I think this is. I am not speaking in hyperbole. I'm speaking from my heart with what I believe is accuracy. If you think I'm wrong when I'm through, come and challenge me. But if I'm right... Come along with me. That's what I would ask you. I want us to get it. I want us to understand it. The church of Jesus Christ cannot save you. But it is here to serve a very specific mission for the Savior. That mission was consumed confessionally by what was stated that you just said. That the church exists for the purpose of gathering and perfecting the elect of God until he returns. That's why it exists. That's its purpose. That's its mission. Were the writers of the Westminster Confession accurate? Have we listened to what they have said? More importantly, is it biblical? And what would the Bible say to us about it? Why is it that we have spent two years on a lifestyle of evangelism and discipleship? Because that's why we're here as a church. We have many blessed effects of being Christ's church. But our mission is evangelism and discipleship. Why would I say that? And what does that mean? And what are its implications? We last two weeks, we took the time to look at three kingdom parables of this of salvation being a banquet of grace. And our Lord went, walked us through three parables to teach us of his Christ call to compelling evangelism. He calls his church to embrace a commitment to compelling evangelism. And when you take the three parables that all have their own individual focus and you pull them together, this is what we came up with in verses 1 through 24. God saves those who need him even though they do not want him. How? By pursuing them. How? With a compelling message that's been entrusted to the church. It's called the gospel. With compelling messengers... Those are converted believers, Christ's disciples, who go and seek and save the lost and to disciple them. And a and compelling minister, and that's the Holy Spirit. Compelling message, compelling messengers, changed people in his church 
the gospel going through the church of Jesus Christ to and power and with the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus, like always, Luke affirms what Jesus always does. He never separates evangelism and discipleship. He says, come as you are. And when you come, don't come negotiating. Come surrendered. And then he gets to Christ's call to costly discipleship. If I can sum up everything of that study we did, here's what it says. Renounce everything, including yourself. Every relationship, everything that's in your grasp, you renounce it. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. And you come to him. Now, when you come to him and he begins to work in your life by the means of grace in discipleship, after you've been evangelism, he'll send you back to everything. He'll send you back to all those relationships. But now, not in idolatry or with any temptation to idolatry. Now, as his ambassador into that marriage, into that family into that job, into that community, into that nation. Those things have no, no prior commitment over you. You've got to remember, when Jesus taught that in another time, there were three guys that said, okay, Jesus, we'll follow you. And then all three of them gave an excuse. But here was the key. Each excuse, whether valid or invalid, as you look at it, the problem was, and what Jesus judged, was the two words. But first, I'll follow you, but first, when we come to Christ, Jesus is not at the top of the list of our life. He is the list and he is our life. Then as we follow him, he makes our list. And we go into that list with Christ as our life. To bring Christ to those who are in our lives with everything he's entrusted to us in life. He says, renounce, bid farewell. I'll send you back to it, but nothing is before me, above me, or beside me. I am your life. You're mine, and I am yours. So with that call to compelling evangelism, that call to compelling, to costly discipleship, he then finishes up by saying this. You know what the result is? You become the salt of the earth and you become the light of the world. And as you become the salt of the earth and the light of the world, you now serve me in every arena, every institution, every relationship, every dynamic in all of life. You now go in the preeminence of Christ into every single area. But if you, if the salt isn't salty, you might as well throw it out. It's not even good for the manure pile. It's not even good for the side of the road. The salt has to be salty. Now, if it is, it makes a difference. I can vouch for that. Uh, And that's what the church is supposed to do is keep the salt salty. Keep the light lit. So that the salty believer with the light can salt the earth and go into the world. Brothers and sisters, as I said, the church can't save you. But I want to also say this. You can't grow in Christ and be effective to the full extent that he has given you without being engaged in a church that is committed to its mission. I didn't say just a church. A church that's committed to its mission and its message and its ministry. 
I know that. I've been a pastor for 40-something years now. I've seen the people who've walked away from the faith or who ended up and never finished strong. You say, well, pastor, they just weren't walking with Jesus. That's not how it started. They didn't walk with Jesus because they found a lot of reasons not to walk with Jesus in his church. And they got out of the means of grace and they got out of fellowship and they got away from the sacraments and they got out from under discipleship. And it all came with reasonable excuses. But first, but first, but first. I know because it's in my family. Y'all have heard me give my testimony, haven't you? I got saved out of a drug problem. Drugged to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. When I went to college, I got married. I saw my dad and mom eventually divorced and disconnected from the Lord. They didn't start there. I remember when it started. The Lord's Day became an option. Gathered worship became an elective. Being in a small group in Bible study was... Well, maybe if I get time, I might show up for a couple. And then the love of the Lord began to wane. And then a divorce. Now, praise God. (laughs) I had the great privilege to see him come back to the Lord and see him remarried and have great days. Praise the Lord. But you go ask him if they'd love to have that 15 years back. You go ask them. I've heard them tell me where it started. It didn't start with, I don't love Jesus. It started with every reason not to experience the means of grace and the love of Jesus in the gathered assembly of his people. God made his church to grow you. Now, I want to be a church where people grow. That means we got to be a church on mission, on message. We can't become something else. We've got to do what God says we're called to do, and we can only do it in the power of the Holy Spirit out of a love to Christ and being guided by his word. What does that look like? How does it look to be on mission, on message and in ministry? Well, go with me to one text that we've already uh, that we've already identified, and it's in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16. Would you go there with me? And I've already read it. Let me go back over it. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain. That's probably referring to the mountain where Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount. Could refer to the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, could refer to both of them if they're both the same, if that both things happened at the same mountain, although I don't think they did. But he went to the mountain. It's whatever it was. It was a mountain that was that was known enough that they put a dead. They didn't say a mountain. They said the mountain. So they went to the mountain in which Jesus had directed them. So they went to the mountain Jesus told them to meet him at. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." So here they come and they get engaged and they meet Jesus, the 11 disciples, 
and we get the Great Commission. So let me give you a little bit of an overview. Um, I, I tell you what, let me back up uh, first of all. So remember that costly discipleship I forgot to mention. We came up with one. We came up with one distillation of that study. It was um, it was that salvation is free, but discipleship costs. So evangelism, compelling evangelism, costly discipleship. And if you don't embrace it, then the salt is not salty and it's no good except to be thrown out. How do you keep the salt salty and how do you keep the light lit? God says, I've got my church. My church is there to put the flavor in the salt. My church is there to keep the light lit. I put the means of grace, preaching, prayer, worship, fellowship, sacrament. I put all of that there together and I've given direction to my church. This is your mission. And I've given the message to the church and I've given the ministries that the church is to do to carry out the mission. So that's what he has given to us. And Jesus puts it this way, and he puts it very forthrightly in what we call this Great Commission text, but it's not the only Great Commission text. Actually, the Great Commission is so important, it is repeated in all four of the Gospels and in the book. It's repeated five times in the book of Acts. And when you put the five together, when you put all five of them together, you get a a composition of the Great Commission. But there are none of them that are more salient than Matthew 28, which is why it gets preached all the time. And here we are in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. So you've got the text five times. It is a definitive statement of what the church is supposed to do. Who gave it? The Jesus, who is the head of the church, the builder of the church, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The architect of the church, who who indwells the church with his presence by his spirit, who guides the church with his infallible, inerrant word, and who bought the church at the cross. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might wash her with the water of the word and that he might sprinkle her clean by the blood. So here is his church. Jesus, we're yours. What are we here for? He says, what you're here for. And he gives us this great commission repeated five times. It's definitive. It is foundational. It is it is all in, it is um, uh, it is clear. It is challenging and it has been given to us. Let's dig down just a little bit deeper into it. So when this Great Commission is given, now, folks, work with me on this. Again, do not worry. I will not trick you. So just be ready to answer. All right. When he gives the Great Commission, who does he give it to? How many? I thought he had 12. What happened to what? He's just 11. Where's the 12? Folks, this isn't hard. I know you're, you're digging too deep. He apostatized. He's dead. Hard to show up at that mountain dead. Having died in despair and rebellion. His name? Judas. Now we're back. Oh, now you did go to Sunday school. All right. So there you are. Now there's 11. And here are the 11. Some are. Don't you love the honesty of the Bible? Some are doubting. What in the world? I mean, is this Jesus? It's after the resurrection. The great commissions are given after the resurrection. Prior to his ascension, during his 40 days, and he gives this clear statement. Now, he'll give them at different places. 
He'll give the great commission on the Mount of Olives. He'll give the great commission at the ascension as he's ascending. He'll give the great commission up here at the up here at the Sea of Galilee at the mountain. So and he gives them and he's now giving it to them. They're putting it together. This is the kind of focused one. And then in it, he's giving it to his disciples. And when his disciples see him, don't miss this. What were they doing when they saw him? What when soon they saw him? Although some doubted, what did they do together? Here is the first, here is the first meeting of the church, first church planted in the New Testament. They worshipped him. They started with worship. Gathered worship. And as they worshipped him, not perfectly, the Bible's honest, but intentionally, as they worshipped him, Jesus gives them the Great Commission. He instructs them as to why he is planting this church and why it is to be here. And then he tells them a command. The command is not go, although some preachers preach it as if it's the command. The command, the only imperative verb is make disciples. Why do I have you here? Why are you here? You're the first church of every other church that's going to be planted. The first church here in uh, in Israel. I'm planting you. You're going to go from 11 to 120. You're going to go 120 to 3,000, just counting the men. You're then going to go to another 5,000. This is what's going to happen. It's going to go to Antioch. It's going to go to Ephesus. It's going to go and turn up the whole world, the world upside down with less than 25 years, all the way to Europe. And I'm not even going to talk to people yet about what's happening south, what's happening um, uh, east. I'm not telling about that. But north and west, look at what's happening. The whole world's getting tough. But I'm going to start right here with you. And I'm telling you, this is why you're here. Go make disciples. Now, to make disciples, you've got to do three things. Going. That's really what it is. It's a participle. It says go, but it's as you're going. Going. Do what? Make disciples by going. That's evangelism. Intentional, personal, compelling, personal evangelism. Secondly, enfold them into the body. Sacramentally, enfold them into the body. And then he shows us throughout the New Testament, 22 baptisms, believers and their household, sacramentally enfolded into the body of Christ to be loved on and love others. Then what? Start teaching. Start teaching, but don't stop because I want you to teach everything in my word, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now you start with the gospel. Because what? You start with the foundation. The first things first. Remember what Paul said? I delivered to you that of first importance. The gospel. That means what? There are other things that are secondary importance. By the way, they're still important. Doesn't mean they're not important. It just means that you got to get this one right. The gospel for those things to make sense. So you start and you work people through it. Church government. It's important. I mean, everybody ought to be a Presbyterian so you don't have to transfer when you get to heaven. But you can get that wrong and still be saved. Wouldn't take a chance, but you can get that wrong and still get saved. So what we want to do is we want to understand how the Bible unfolds. But all scripture is profitable 
for equipping, for reproof, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate and equipped. So teach them to observe all that I've commanded. Start with the gospel and then begin to move with this focused discipleship into their life. So now what do you see the church doing? Worshiping, evangelizing, loving, enfolding, sacraments. What do you see the church doing? Preaching. What do you see the church doing? Praying. What do you see the church doing? Discipling. Make disciples. You can't make a disciple without evangelism. You've got to go get them. But you don't clean fish before you catch them. Just go catch them. Then we start cleaning them. That's called discipleship. Be fishers of men. Where do you fish? Everywhere. Got fishing pools all over. Everywhere. You go to the highways, go to the byways, go to the hedges, go everywhere. Go everywhere. Spread the gospel over the whole field. Rocky ground, thorny ground. Everyone evangelizing everybody everywhere every day. And then as they come to Christ, now let's grow in grace. You don't have to grow first to come to Christ. Come to Christ just as I am. Now, turn from everything in repentance. Put your trust in Christ. Now let's show you how to live life for Jesus with Jesus as your life. That's called discipleship. That's what we're going to do. And where do you do that? In the womb of his church. Where you get shepherded. You get to worship. You get the sacraments. You get preaching. You get fellowship. You get small group discipleship. You get prayer times together. All of that begins to put together in God's tapestry with his church that's on mission, on message, and in ministry. So when you take a little closer view... What you see is who's getting this? Disciples. What are we given? We're given a commission to make disciples. How do you make disciples? Well, you've got to evangelize, and then you've got to, and then you've got to, um, and then you not only got to evangelize, you've got to enfold, and then when you enfold, you start equipping. And if, now watch, if you win, if people come to Christ as you go, and people are enfolded into the body of Christ. And then people are discipled to learn all of the word of God. What's the result? What happens to people? What's the mark? What is the salient mark of successful di- discipleship in a church that's on mission, on message, and in ministry? Don't answer because you may get it wrong. And then I will have tricked you. And I don't ever want to trick you. Well, Pastor, if you get saved and you get discipled, you'll start evangelizing others. You're right. You'll start praying. You're right. You'll start, you'll start all kinds of things. Yes, you're right. But the salient evidence of success is sinners who are falling short of God's glory. Now, their greatest delight is to give glory and worship. What is the one case of perfect discipleship that you know of? Who is the best disciple that's ever lived? This is not hard. Who is the best discipler to ever live? Jesus. That's good. And he worked with him how many years? He, he went. Did he go after him? Was he go, did he go after him? Seek and save the lost? Did he start teaching him? And then after the resurrection, he got them together. What's the first thing they did? They worshiped. That's how you know you've hit a home run. First base, evangelism. Second base, enfolding. Third base, equipping. Home run, worshipers. No longer idolaters, now latrias. Giving God praise in spirit and truth. The Trinitarian God. Worship the Father through the Son and in the Spirit. That's how you know. That's how you know that, uh, that God is at work in the discipleship. 
but one more thing as we take a closer look. There are four alls in that text. Four alls. Don't miss them. When Jesus gives, gives the imperative to make disciples, what's the first thing he says? How much authority does Jesus have? All. Well, what if the mayor of New York says, y'all can't evangelize in Central Park? Well, I've got a king that says, I can't. Well, you're going to go to jail. Fine. But I must obey God rather than man. And by the way, your authority is only because of him. And I'll obey your authority and give glory to God unless your authority tells me that I have to transgress the word of God. So just like Peter and John, you can't preach there, but they do. They preach there. And they're willing to go back to jail. I'm willing to go. Give me the key. I'll start a prison ministry. But that's all authorities. In other words, there aren't really any closed countries if we're willing to if we're willing to die for King Jesus. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples where? Folks, we love our nation. Go after your nation. But don't stop with your nation. Go to all the nations. Go to all the nations. Making disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now we start to put them into small group discipleship. Teaching them to observe what? Whole word of God. Inspired and errant, infallible and profitable. And then what? There's a fourth all. I'll be with you all the days. Until when? It's coming. Resurrected Jesus. Here's the imperative. Here's the mission. Stay at it until I get back. And I'll be with you every day by my spirit. I'll be with you every single day by my spirit. Well, so now what I want to do is distill this. I've only got a few minutes. i got just a few minutes to do it, and I really want to be timely on this. So would you hang with me? But these are so important. Please get them. I have thought long and hard about this. I have prayed over this literally for months. So let me give it to you. I want to give you seven takeaways on this own mission, own message, and in ministry. Here's number one. Just working right out of these last three sermons. Here's the first one. The first one is this. Is that discipleship and evangelism is the Christ-given mission of the church. Now, folks, please hear me out on this. Is the Christ-given mission of the church which defines and directs every ministry of the church for from Christ's ascension until his return. Now, that's as comprehensive as I can get this. Discipleship and evangelism, a lifestyle of evangelism and discipleship, is the Christ-given mission of the church which defines and directs every ministry. In other words, if a ministry doesn't do that, we don't do it at Briarwood. Every ministry that we do since we're the church has got to get some way evangelism and discipleship done. That's what we're here for. That's what we're to do. So evangelism and discipleship, it defines and directs every ministry of a church that's on mission and on message and in ministry. And that's our mission and our ministry from from the ascension of Christ until he comes back. Until he comes back, this is what we do. This is business. And if I may quote my daddy, take care of business. This is business. Number two. Now get this. The mission of the church is narrow and focused. 
It's a very narrow mission. We, we are not, we're not, we don't exist to be the political, par, a political party in the United States or any other nation. Now, please hear me out on this. Don't get it. Don't just shut me down. We don't exist to do hospitals. We don't exist. Uh, there are all kinds of things that we don't exist to do. What is the church here to do? The church is here to equip Christians. Does this sound familiar? To worship God. And reach Birmingham to reach the world for Christ. This is what we do. It's narrow. Now, please hang with me. I know right now many of you are turning me off. The mission of the church is narrow and focused. Now, let me go to number three quickly. See if I can get you to turn back on. The mission of a Christian is broad and comprehensive. The mission of a of the church is narrow in focus. We do evangelism and discipleship. The ministry of a Christian is broad and comprehensive. Let me tell Pastor, how broad? I'm so glad you asked. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Or I could go to Micah. What does God require of you, old man? But to, but to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Guess what? That's not natural. Men and women won't do that unless they get what? Evangelized and discipled. That's what we do. So that what we need to understand is the ministry of the church is broad and comprehensive. We're making the salt salty to send it where? Into the, into the salt of the earth and the light into the world. Now watch. Go to number four. I think it's number four. If the church does not stay committed to its mission, narrow, then Christians will not be able to do theirs comprehensive. It's by us staying focused that you're able to do all of that as salt of the earth. And I love it, salt of the earth. Can I go back to salt? I love salt. Salt is wonderful. And if it's salty, it doesn't take much salt to make a difference. Doesn't take much salt at all. My wife makes the best corn on the... In fact, right now, it's getting close to lunch and I'm hungry. But if, I, my mouth is watering. She, her corn on the cob is Longhorn comes close, but not, it doesn't get there. It is awesome. Now, what make, now we get, buy some good corn, but what really makes it, what makes that corn on the cob so good? Come on. And butter. If the salt's salty, salt and butter is awesome. But I don't ever remember going to my wife and saying, honey, that was the best salt and butter I have ever had in my life. No, it's when the salt is salty and it does its work that where it's at work becomes glorious. It changes a marriage, a family. It changes a community. It changes everything because it's present. What is our job? Salty salt. Light, light. Bright light. That's our job in the church. And then the Christian goes to their marriage. 
Oh, oh, look what God just did because we're doing what we ought to do in that man or woman's life. Now it's showing up as husband and wife. Now it's showing up as um, parents. Now it's showing up. Look what they do with their business. That business isn't owned by money. That business is owned by Jesus through them. And they know how to do business heartily unto the Lord. Why? Because they got discipled. That's why. And then all of a sudden, ministries. Pastor, Pastor Barker. Why don't we go reach a college? Uh, Frank, Harry, let's see if we can put 400 people to, and do tutoring in the, inter, in the downtown schools. I got a great idea. Let's teach reading. Now, the church is not a tutoring agency. But you've heard me use the example. A retired 81-year-old FBI director that got disciples said, here's a way for me to impact the world. And that's what he did. The other week, I'm sitting here looking when we're, we're, we're teaching all that. We're, are we going to teach on the sanctity of life? Absolutely. Are we going to teach on the sanctity of marriage, sanctity of sexuality, sanctity of family? Absolutely. Are you in a world that is saying to the church and the family, we are going to eradicate you? You, you can, if you think the church can exist compromised to the world, you, you're going to celebrate what they celebrate or be condemned. You've got to condemn what you used to celebrate to exist. So when we say, no, we're going to be faithful to Jesus. That's what we're going to do. We want to be faithful to the Lord. So that means our people get a burden, no matter what kind of murder is taking place, this legislated murder of the unborn. We're, we're going to come to this thing with truth and mercy and love. That's what we're going to do. And marriage and family and gender dysphoria and all of those things. We're coming with the truth and love of Christ, not with the psychology of the world. That's what we're coming with. So I stood right here that Sanctity of Life Sunday. There was the lawyers for life. And, there, and boy, you know you're doing a good job when that shows up. The lawyers for life, nurses for life. Do you remember them standing up here? Doctors for life. Remember them standing up here? Legislati legislative policies for the sanctity of life. Save a life. Crisis pregnancy center. Lifeline adoption agency. And folks, I looked at all of that and I said, praise God. And you know what I did? And I can do this because it has very little to do with me. It, I, I inherited most of this as a pastor 20 years ago. I looked at all of those nine. Of, there's nine of them that were up here. Seven had been started by Briarwood members. You know why? We didn't go start that. What we did was disciple them to teach them all. And then they said, here's a ministry. Let's go for it. Because the Christian's mission is all encompassing. And God's going to put burdens on different people at different places. And that's why I saw abortion recovery, uh, helping women with mercy. I saw all of those things up here because they had been equipped and discipled. How do you bring the gospel to bear upon this issue and to contend for the faith without being contentious? Now, we're all, yes, can we do it perfectly? No, 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 no. No, but that's just a little bit of an example. If the church, the church has to relentlessly discipline itself for mission integrity, don't get distracted. Stay on the mission. 
Stay on the mission. Let me give you another reason why. Here's why. The function, give number five, the functional mission of the church will inevitably define the message of the church. The functional mission of the church will inevitably define the message of the church. In other words, now I know, see, I said functional because you, our confessional mission is on target. You just did it from the confession of faith. But in the life and ministry of the church, there is a confessional mission and then Does your functional mission line up with the confessional mission? Are you really on mission? Are you really on message? And are you really on ministry? If you're not on mission, it's only a matter of time till you're going to get off message. Because the mission, the functional mission will define the message eventually. If we decide Briarwood exists for church growth, we're going to end up with a pragmatic gospel to get the numbers watch what we do to the message to get the numbers we'll get rid of that thing that little scandal that everybody can't stand what's that the gospel a biblical gospel will be lost because we'll get a number i mean we may do a you know come to jesus say it this way and you're going to get success and health and prosperity if we decide that the, the, per, the functional message is to turn out successful Christians, we'll start a prosperity gospel. If it's growth, we'll start a pragmatic gospel. If it's self-esteem, we'll start a therapy gospel. The mission, the functional miss, mission will eventually determine the message. We've got to stay on mission to stay on message. Got to stay on mission to stay on message. If we decide social justice... Then we'll come up with a social gospel. Well, I mean, and I got, I, listen, I got a family vested interest in social justice and, and racial reconciliation and all of this. But I know the best way to impact that is for us to stay on mission and on message. And then watch what believers do as they get equipped and they see the stupidity of, number one, believing in Darwinian races. races. Of number two, racism. We begin to see when we're equipped with a Christian world in life view just how stupid that is and how antithetical to the gospel it is. But you've got to stay on mission. You've got to stay on message. So, now that's just a burden. I'm sorry. I, I wanted to get it out to you. Uh, the functional mission of the church will inevitably define the message of the church. Let me give number six. Gathered worship Gathered worship is the ground from which an evangelistic and disciple-making church grows. If, we're not a gr- if we don't understand God-centered, spirit and truth, Trinitarian worship, we will not be an evangelistic and discipling church. When Jesus gave the command, what were they doing? Worshiping. On mission, the mission was delivered in the context of a worship service in Matthew 28. It is the ground from which an evangelistic and disciple church grows, as well as the evidence of its success. When God's people love gathered worship, not only is gathered worship scatter them after they've gathered in the discipling process in evangelism, but it also becomes the testimony. I know good small group discipleships going on when those in the small group love the large group for worship. I know it's going on well. Otherwise, it's pretty close to a cult. 
There'll be gathered a desire for gathered worship of God's people. Number seven, the discipleship funnel. If you'll look around now, every staff member is rolling their eyes. This is one that's big on my heart. When people are one to Christ, they're put in the top of the funnel. The big gathered group. And then they work down the funnel. And then they keep working down. Being matured to follow Christ. If you don't get in the, if you don't love the top of the funnel, you'll never get to the bottom of the funnel. And if you get to the bottom of the funnel, it's going to be connected from the top. Well, Harry, what are you talking about? Here's Jesus. Multitude, 70, 12, 3. Gathered worship, the large group. Congregational community. Out of that, small groups. And you might even get to a smaller one of three. For more accountability. For more discipleship. Something happens glorious in the big group. Here's the cannonade of gospel discipleship. I don't know about you. I got cannonaded singing a while ago. I just wanted to stop and go to heaven right then. And there's something about doing that with all of you with one heart, one voice, one soul. That's not the same as a three as a as my when I get with my buddies. I mean, when me and Shelton and Sandy get together and John, when we sing, buddy, I mean, we, we quit that 30 years ago. But man, when we get together with God's people, I'm lifted up. The confession of truth together, all of that. Now I get into the congregation community, other dimensions are added. Then I get into a small group, another dimension of interaction and openness and transparency. Then I get into three, and now I'm into the funnel, and I'm functioning my way through it. And that's where a church sets it up. And we didn't get exotic and invent it. We're just following Jesus. Multitude, 70, 12, 3. So that you're doing small group disciple making. Well, I got so much more to say about that. I'll quit uh, because I, I wanted to try to be timely. See, as close to timely as I ever do. And, um, and give it to you. And Lord, I just, I'm pleading that God will give you a heart to not only get in the funnel, but to be a part of the funnel. As God's made, help us stay on mission, on message and in ministry. Can I give you just one more illustration? You know, I had so many illustrations of this. I mean, I looked at YBL. I looked at Broward Christian School. I looked at uh, uh, the ballet. I looked at the sports. I looked at uh, there's 121 ministries at Briarwood. And honestly, I could have gone to every one of them to show you the glorious effects. You see, I want church growth, but it's a consequence, not a mission. I want racial reconciliation. It's a consequence, not our mission. I want social justice. It's a consequence of the church staying on mission. I want, I long for, I desire Christians who are not only contributing to statistical growth, who are not only contributing to bringing the gospel of reconciliation to the world where people are divided and wiping out the stupidity of this cultural Marxist theories such as intersectionality and uh, critical race theory, all of those, being able to biblically with the world in mind. But I know they won't be there if we're not discipling them. Win them to Christ and disciple them. Folks, I want you to have a reasonably good self-esteem, but I want that to be the product of knowing the self-respect of Jesus is your life. I want to, I want, I'd like for you to be successful. 
and tithe. And tithe. Maybe double tithe. But folks, my goal is not how many zeros in your bank account. My goal is that you know how to work heartily for the Lord. I want to disciple you. I want to win you to Christ and disciple you and then you become a part of it. And I could, I could go to ministry after ministry in our church and I just don't have time. But there's one. The reason I'm doing to this one is because I just experienced it. I just sat down. I taught uh, uh, for the second time for our seminary cohort at Bloody Bib. And I'm sitting there thinking, why am I here behind the wire? And I'm looking in front of me and there's a black guy and a white guy when I finish who held hands and prayed together. How did I get here? His name was Jeff Dunn. And he'd looked over in South Carolina where a seminary and a church got together and prisons weren't the same. And then he found out that had started over in the worst prison in America, Angola, with a seminary and a church. And then it went to South Carolina. He said, I'd like to do it in Alabama. And, and pastor, and he came to us in our session and said, yes, I want you all to do it through Birmingham Theological Seminary. And let's see what we can do. So we went, 2016. And we started a seminary. We're now in our second cohort. We've had 12 graduates, soon to have 20 plus graduates. Now, I know you say, well, it won't be hard to get God. They want to get parole. No, no. You, the guys in this are lifers. The guys telling you about nine homicides. The guys praying with four. They're never getting out. And by the way, once they graduate through that in our jumpstart program, they're committed to going to another seminary to I mean to another prison to reproduce it. Salt and light. Isn't that great? I won't get it to you. Would you let me? Let me just go just a little greater with you. Uh, when we started it, all our guys were in this one dorm, in this one bay, and they were being sexually assaulted because of their commitment to Christ, their involvement in our seminary. They were being, all kinds of things were happening to them, but they loved each other and they loved their enemies. And then they came back to us and said, you know, this seminary stuff is good. And we've looked around for the churches that we're going to on Sundays here and in there. Can we get a church that kind of matches what we're learning at this seminary? I think we can do that. So do you all know today while you're here, there's a congregational community. There are 34 of them that met here this morning. One of them you didn't know about with Mitch Harbert. Thad James is involved. Mitch Harbert, Chaplain Jones. They were meeting too. One of our guys likely went down there to preach. They were meeting as well. You had a congregational community down there. They call it the church behind the wire. You know, the dorm they're meeting in used to assault the students. Now, almost the whole dorm is in the church. A hundred and twenty. If you had walked into that, and I'm going to clean it up for the sake of Sunday morning pulpit language. If you had walked in there with me in 2016, do you know what the guards called that dorm? Fallujah. War-torn. If you had walked in with me, you would have literally seen guys with needles saying, I'll be with you in a minute, finishing. 
you would have found shivs and instruments of murder all over. You would have found mayhem and violence. You would have found racial violence, Hispanic, African-American, Caucasian. And I'll be very gentle here. You would have seen bunk beds with up sheets from the top let down to cover the perversion and immorality that went on. You would have found pornography everywhere. You would have found all of that. That same dorm has been raided with no warning in the last year and a half, and nothing has been found. No pornography. No sex toys. No drugs. Blacks and whites living together, studying together, built a library together, worshiping together, sleeping in the same bunks on top of each other. It's been unbelievable to see, honestly, I could now walk through there with my wife and not even bat an eye. And you remember that black and white guy I told you in front of me? The white guy had tats from here all the way down and I didn't ask to see anymore. He was the head of the Alabama Aryans. And the last time he murdered somebody, he was put into isolation. And when he went out for his daily walk. Now, by the way, folks, we got some great, not only at Bibb County, we are at St. Clair, Fort, uh, not Fort uh, Donaldson. Um, and they're begging us to reproduce this over there. But here at this particular one where they've opened the door. As I walk in there and this thing is happening, uh, I look at this guy and I say, well, how do you get converted? Well, he, here's what happened. He was walking out there and a black guy across the across the yard saw him and said to this Aryan, I've got three words for you. Well, you can imagine what the Aryan said. I got some words for you. And then when he finally shut up, the black guy said, Jesus loves you. Well, you can imagine what he said next. And the black guy said, I got three more words for you. And when he finished another blasphemy round of it, the black guy said, and I forgive you. He went back to his room. His sister had just brought a Bible to him. Wasn't that lucky? Well, long story short, he becomes a Christian. Now they're holding hands in our seminary. Praying together. That's what the Lord's doing. Now, here's what I want you to see. Please understand this. We, when, when Commissioner Dunn came here, do you know why he came to us? Because in the 1970s, he came to Christ at Briarwood and was discipled with Campus Outreach and Frank Barker. And he said, if y'all will do in there what you did for me, would you please? And I said, well, we're still in the business. And he said, well, come on. Do you know what the recidivism is in Alabama prisons right now? Eighty seven percent. In other words, when 100 go out, 87 end back up. Do you know what it is in our jumpstart program that comes from church behind the wire and the seminary cohorts? You know what it is right now? Six percent. That's the gospel. We didn't go in there for racial reconciliation. But that happened. 
We went in there for evangelism and discipleship, teaching the whole counsel of God. And that shows the stupidity of this. We didn't go in there for drug rehabilitation. We didn't go in there for sexual immorality eradication. We went in there to do the Gospels, the claim of Christ with a compelling message and costly discipleship. And God did that in their life. And now they build libraries. They change sleeping arrangements. They hold themselves accountable. That's what's happening because staying on message, on ministry, in, uh, on message, on mission, and in ministry. There's so much I want to tell you. I know I went over. I'm sorry. I love you. Thanks for being patient. But, folks, I'm just asking you right now. In fact, just let's bow in prayer. Let's bow in prayer. If today you're here and you say, Pastor, I just heard that Jesus said for me to come just like I am. I don't have to clean up. And praise God, he'll clean me up. But I come from my sin and give my trust to Jesus. And you'd like to pray with someone. Can I tell you, we exist to love you in Christ. And we want to help you come to Christ and follow Christ. And you can just start this morning by coming up here to the prayer team after I give the benediction. And for the rest of you, would you join me in this silent prayer? God, keep us on mission, on message, and in ministry. Folks, please, be done. Be done with a superficial view of Christ's church. See its mission. See its message. And when we get on mission and on message, we unleash Christians with a comprehensive, world-shaking message and mission and ministry. Help us. Let's do this together. With a lifestyle of evangelism and discipleship. In Jesus' name, God, I ask it. I plead with you. I plead with you. Ten years from now, we want to be salt. And nobody comes back to tell us anything about the salt. They just love what it does wherever it goes. We want to be light so that darkness is dispelled. That means we need to be on mission, on message, in ministry. Please, God, help us. Jesus name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader, senior pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776 5200.